afternoon, morning, whenever you're listening to this podcast. It is the Frogs Insider Podcast. I am Melissa Treewasser alongside my host, Jamie Plunkett. We are a part of Dave Campbell's Texas Football Republic of Football Podcast Network. Whew, that's a lot. And long, we long name. Are, long name. Um, and we are super excited. You guys are going to get a big week from us this week because you'll hear from us not once, but twice because we decided... We had so much exciting news to get to with the MLB draft, NBA Summer League, looking forward to Big 12 Media Days and then Media Days itself that it was worth recording on Monday night as we normally do. And then you are just going to get a special episode from us on sometime later this week directly about Big 12 Media Days. We will not make promises. We will not write checks. Our butts can't cash, but True. there will be a second episode this week. Um, and uh, yeah, it's going to be a lot to talk about. It's an exciting time. Football is... You can almost taste it, Jamie, with Big 12 Media Days coming up around the bend here. It is a lot to look forward to. It is a lot to get excited about. We will be talking to football coaches, football players, and football media people about football in just a couple of days. Football counter is pretty high already for the number of times you've said football. 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 Can I ask ask a question? You can. What does football taste like? Uh, Oh, this is an easy one. Football tastes... Like the way that fresh cut grass smells. Okay. And blood. A, yes, I was gonna say, and there's a little <laughs> bit of copper just okay. hanging out in the back of your tongue, and that's that to me is what football tastes like. And and then just like a like the finish is like a smooth leather of like a really fine, you know, kind of like a fine uh, cognac or, or bourbon, right? So that's that's Sweet. what football tastes like. Um, you know I'm what I've never it. tasted. Um, but I probably would because I think being the softest, most comfortable tees, hoodies, <laughs> and <laughs> necks around, you know they'd be tender to eat. You could don't even you can cut it with a spoon. <laughs> I still owe a, the world an Eaton shirt, I believe, or a hat you, or something. You so. oh, you've got to put I think Chick Fil A sauce on a t shirt and eat it because TCU gave up two hundred rushing yards to Arkansas back in what was that like twenty sixteen or something? But that's neither here nor there. When when it's you a letdown. Get around, it was a letdown of the past regime. All bets are null and void. Okay, that helped. well. Well, I will say this, Jamie: if you do go to eat a T-shirt, please don't eat a home field apparel T-shirt because those <laughs> yeah. are far too good and far too high quality to be slathered in ketchup or other dipping sauces and uh, and eaten. Um, we are we are that is the worst possible way to introduce a company that we actually both really love. Um, <laughs> Shout out to the good brand. Yeah, I'm rocking a good brand shirt tonight. Uh, we are uh, happy to be sponsored by, oh, there goes my, I'm glad I'm wearing pants. Um, this <laughs> <laughs> um, camera, which just for no reason whatsoever pointed directly at the ground. I'm wearing, I'm wearing shorts. So the audio only audience, um, you've been spared. Oh, um, yeah. So anyways, again, the worst possible way to say how much we appreciate home field apparel, but um, some of the best t-shirts, uh, sweatshirts, hoodies, sweatpants, joggers, v-necks, everything. We're happy uh, to have home field apparel as a sponsor on both Frogs Insider and the Republic of Football Network as a whole. Um, if you are looking to get some new home field swag, and guys, I know a lot of people on the West Coast are excited about this one, Oregon is dropping this week. And mm-hmm. I know everybody in America that loves college sports is going to be copping an Oregon shirt because you know the throwback ducks are going to be complete and total so fire. fire. So, so fire. fire. 
can't wait to see it. If they have like a, mm-hmm. like a, like a light green t-shirt I'm on. Um, so, oh, and Mike just with a beautiful drive and, a, and an offhand finish. Beautiful. Anyways, we're watching summer league. Like we were last episode too. Yes. Um, so I think that was Mike. Nope. That was definitely not Mike. No. Um, no, maybe it was. No. It might have been Mike. No. Okay. It's that's fine. A, that's all Max. <laughs> Okay. I can't, I'm old. I'm going to the eye doctor Friday while I'm in Texas. That's where I'm at. So, uh, frogs insider frogs in 15. This I've, this is the most unprofessional start we've ever had that saying something and it's all my fault. <laughs> um, frogs no. in 15, we'll get you 15% off your first purchase. You can use it again for 10% off any subsequent purchases. Um, cops use some Oregon gear. If you haven't checked out the new TCU line or the old TCU line, awesome, awesome stuff there. They've even got some kid shirts coming out. I've got uh, I have so much home field apparel that I bought some of the shirts twice because I wear them out so quickly, um, which is why I was comfortable wearing uh, uh, this one today, despite the fact I was I was doing a little painting project in my classroom. So frogs in 15, 15% off uh, your first purchase, 10% off any subsequent purchases, not just for TCU swag, but all the swag you want to get. So be sure to check that out when the new drops happen this week and continue to happen throughout the fall football season. This is why you normally lead in, Jamie. Is this... <laughs> This is what well, happens. You typed you you typed into the run sheet, so I figured I've entered the last few. I've I've brought us in. You you deserve your your due and your no your no. Day. I clearly do not. I, I neither deserve it nor can I handle the pressure of it. So um, it's well, fine. Shout out to the good brand for being awesome sponsors. Shout out to you for just gritting it out through yeah. that intro. Yeah. This is the the chaos podcast, anyways. So we might as well just lean into the skid, right? But. Uh, <laughs> You realize that we're going to be like on the ground in person with people from gambling gauchos this week. That feels so dangerous. It feels so dangerous. I've never met any of the gauchos guys in person. I'm excited to do that because I do, I do respect their work a lot. They're, they're good people from what I can tell based on listening to their podcast every week. Um, But I do think that there should be some sort of throwdown when we meet them in person. Oh, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. I think, I think we throw down with them. I think we take on talking about the Cougars just for the heck of it. Cause they're going to be on boots mm-hmm. on the ground as well. And then we all just like say hi to Sam Khan Cause he's also going to be on the, uh, the live show here, uh, Wednesday at noon. So if you're tuning into this, you can catch DCTF with a couple, some folks from around the podcast network and the lovely Sam Khan, who we both, I know just absolutely adore as a human being. Um, so make sure you're checking that out live at noon on Wednesday, live from Big 12 Media Days. It's it's going to be a uh, they're going to have a lot of people on really cool show. Lots of lots of cool stuff happening. So and we will fight gambling gauchos. Mm-hmm. Maybe not live on the DC, DCTF stream because that would kind of ruin the the vibes there. Um, I will say, though, shout out to Sam Khan, the purveyor of the best single sentence of journalism advice I've ever received. Right. What you see. It's just that simple. simple. That's just, so, just that simple. Um, yes. So very looking, very much looking forward to Big 12 Media Days. We're going to talk about Big 12 Media Days here in a little bit. Is that where it is on the run sheet? Yeah, yeah. I think we Down better we finish, finish with cool. football. Because, kind of what we're looking forward to yeah. and, and all that kind of stuff. We'll get to that near the end. Uh, got some other things football related and, uh, you know, kind of national story related to get to at the end of this as well. But Melissa, we are through two days of the three-day 2023 Major League Baseball draft. And a couple of frogs have already heard their name yeah. called, which is pretty cool. Braden Taylor went in the first round, 19 overall, uh, to the Tampa Bay Rays, which was very exciting to hear so cool. that happen. So your worries about him ending up in Oakland did not come to fruition. Instead, 
he ends up with a franchise that lately last five, six, seven years has been known for developing some incredible, incredible, incredible young talent, both on the field and in the lineup and on the mound. So mm-hmm. really good deve- developmental landing spot for Braden Taylor there. Yeah, I'm super excited about him going with the Rays. Um, you know, I, I tweeted about it, but one of the things sometimes, you know, some people had him projected in the top 10 and, and it looked like for a while that he was going to kind of creep up into those single digits. One of the good things about falling a little bit and, and major league baseball is a little bit different because good teams can still have high draft. But it's also weird, but um, falling a little bit, slipping down in position as you end up with a franchise that is generally a little bit better, has a little bit more of a winning way. Um, and, and the Rays are certainly that, you know, what's interesting about them is they kind of turn over their entire roster every couple of years as guys get to the level where they need to get paid. They develop them and send them to other teams to cash those big checks. So, um, but they develop the heck out of them. They have a great farm system. Um, you know, one of the things they were talking about on the broadcast is how ready-made to play in the big leagues Braden Taylor is and how landing in a spot like Tampa Bay where they do put young players out there early might be the ideal situation. I think one of the one of the uh, commentators said that they could see him, you know, towards the end of next season. So potentially in the big leagues by the end of 2024, uh, which would be awesome. Um, and also his position flexibility helps. They talked about him a lot as a shortstop, playing shortstop at the next level. The Rays have a very, very good shortstop right now. So he's yes. probably not in line for that. But when you look at playing third base or potentially second base, um, you know, there might be some opportunities there for him. So uh, I think an ideal situation, you know, he gets he gets to play with a really great franchise, a, a team that wins a lot. And he's going to be in a minor league system that's proven time and time again. It can develop top tier, mature talent um, into mature professional baseball players. I mean, when you talk about maturity, there is no one that is more representative of that than Bite because he is and has been since he got on campus as a, I believe, still a 17-year-old his freshman year, uh, one of the more mature players that I've ever encountered in college baseball. So very excited for him. Congratulations to him. It's a huge landing spot, also a huge payday. So shout out to that. Bank account's looking a little bigger these days for Braden Taylor. Um, but he wasn't the only frog. So he was the only frog on day one that heard his name called. Um, they do the first two rounds on day one. They do rounds three through 10 on day two, which is Monday, the day we are recording this in the evening. Three more horn frogs heard their names called uh, during day two of the draft festivities. First in the seventh round, uh, Cole Fontenelle went to <clears throat> the, I'm oh God, I'm drawing a blank now. The Angels, the Los Angeles Angels. Of Anaheim. So Cole Fontenelle in a couple of years might be, if he doesn't get traded, playing with Shohei Otani. Uh, Shohei Shohei Otani is not going to be in LA. I know. And honestly, good for him. Well, he's going to be in LA. He's not going to be with the Angels. That's true. Wearing a little bit of blue. But good for Cole Fontenelle. Uh, He is a guy who, in just one year at TCU, I think improved his draft stock a tremendous amount because when he was coming in, I talked to a couple of folks in the scouting industry who said, yeah, we just, uh, I mean, he hit 19 home runs at McLennan Juco last year, but we don't know how the power translates to, you know, the, the power, the power five to D one to all this other stuff, yada, yada. And all Cole Fontenelle did was go out and hit 14 home runs, hit 21 doubles. He led the team in doubles and he led the team in batting average with 352. He also stole 20 bases, flashed his speed quite a bit throughout the year. 
Um, and he also won the starting first baseman job mm-hmm. from David Bishop pretty early on in the season by showing some really good defensive athleticism. Uh, he can play either infield position, third or first. He played a little left field at McLennan as well. Super good utility athlete with good power, hits for average as well, has some good speed on the bases. Uh, and something that shouldn't go unnoticed too is that he was the uh, infielder on TCU's roster with the best fielding percentage this year at 991. Committed four errors all year, um, which is pretty impressive for a kid who had not played a ton of first base coming into yeah. his time at TCU. So and super, super touching pumped the ball. Yeah. Touching the ball and almost, you know, every, almost every outs coming through him or so many outs are coming through him. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it, it's awesome for him. Like you said, he really um, elevated his status. It kind of sucks for TCU because you're looking now at a fourth, uh, third, third consecutive year or fourth consecutive year where they're going to have a new first baseman mm-hmm. because with David Bishop transferring mm-hmm. out, which you, now you kind of wonder like, man, like, Bishop had stuck it out. Like, I don't know, but whatever we will never know. Um, but yeah, so you'll, you'll be having a new person starting at first base for you after, after, you know, going through three guys that, that, you know, finished one career, one freshman and then, and then Fontenelle. So tough situation for the Horn Frogs, but awesome situation for Fontenelle. And there's really, at this point, I don't think there's any reason for him to come back. Um, mm. You know, he could raise his profile, but he capitalized on a really nice hot streak at the end. I mean, he played his best baseball, especially at the plate down in the postseason, um, the, the chances of being able to kind of recapture that magic aren't very high. So take the money and run kid. I don't, I don't blame him one bit. No, not at all. He's definitely going to do that. Uh, and I, yeah, like you said, can't blame him. I think TCU is going to be fine at first base though. I mean, you've got Peyton Tully coming in, yeah. uh, who has some experience playing first base. He's probably more of a DH. You've got an incoming freshman in Zach Wattis who probably is ready to take over that to an extent. Um, you know, kind of similar to, to how Bishop did last year early on in his freshman year. Uh, you've also got Jack Basir, a kid coming in from Pepperdine, who's a corner infielder. He's more naturally a third baseman. Uh, when I talked to him earlier this this summer, he said that third base is his preferred spot. And but TCU he, has a hole there as well. So. And that's true with, with Taylor going out. Um, but he did spend most of his freshman year at Pepperdine playing first base. So he's got that experience under his belt as well, playing. Uh, division one baseball. Uh, he played both corner spots for Pepperdine last year a little bit. So they've got some good uh, names to kind of come in and, and maybe not fully by committee, but you'll, you'll see the coaching staff probably try to sort out who's going to start at first base uh, throughout the fall and maybe even early into the spring um, first couple of weeks of the season, just to see kind of who's most comfortable there, who doesn't uh, you know, get it deer in the headlights when the bright lights come on and, yeah. and that kind of thing. So, but shout out to Cole, because that's yeah. such a, that's such a cool thing for, for a kid to, to work his way through Juco to come to TCU and then to have that success uh, in year one that lands him a really good, good yeah. paycheck is awesome. The um, next two guys are, uh, are pretty interesting because mm-hmm. you're looking at, um, you know, two pitchers, two pitchers that have shown they've got good stuff, but didn't necessarily put together the types of seasons that they expected at TCU. And yet I would imagine both of them are going to go pro despite not being drafted, maybe as high as they could, if they came back, they could also be drafted lower and they came back. Um, Ryan Vanderheit goes 300 to the giants. Um, you know, he's a guy who was, you know, started the season as the Friday night starter um, coming out of Kansas, out of the transfer portal was expected to be the ACE had a great start to a season and then kind of hit a wall a little bit, lost control. Um, you know, had just wasn't, wasn't the same guy that was he dealing with some injury issues too, for part of that as well. 
you know, that was kind of the suspicion, you know, after his first three starts when he started to to walk a lot of guys, hit a lot of guys, give up some runs. Um, the bat met the ball a lot more frequently than yeah. it did in the first three starts. And so there were some questions there. Obviously, he he tried to grind it out, got it out a little bit, got moved around in the weekend rotation, eventually got moved to the bullpen, and then they shut him down for good in early May with an injury. And he recently had uh, a little bit of surgery to to fix some of those issues. So glad to see him get taken in the 10th round. Uh, mm-hmm. That's uh, not something that happens a lot for guys who don't have uh, a ton of college eligibility left who are going into an injury, but um, you know, obviously he's got elite stuff, right? His fastball yeah. touches 98, 99. He's got a good slider. He's got a good changeup. It, it's all about how much uh, can he maintain his control of those pitches um, because the, the natural talent, the raw ability is, is yeah. definitely there. So, and you know, he's going to a, a you know, we talk like we talked about with Braden going to the Rays. The the Giants have have produced some pretty darn good pitching over the years. Yeah. So yeah. uh, you know, that's that's definitely a good spot for for Ryan to land. So excited for him. You talk about guys with natural talent. It's kind of a perfect segue into into the last guy to hear his name called on on day two, and that's Cam Brown. Um, you know, I think TC fans are going to look back on the Cam Brown era as a little bit of like what might have been uh, because he had flash moments of absolute and utter greatness, um, but just couldn't consistently kind of put those appearances together. Now, he did perform really, really well in a couple of postseason starts, um, mm-hmm. worked his way kind of through some of those um, early inning jams that had kind of been his bugaboo early in his career and, and throughout his career at TCU. But he goes uh, 313th overall to the Phillies. Um, you know, that's that's a, a team that's pretty veteran right now they're probably not in a huge hurry he's a guy that maybe he benefits more from being in professional baseball and and just getting to kind of work and focus on his craft every day I mean he certainly has the stuff I mean that's fastball runs up into the high 90s um you know he's he's got the off speed if he can just get control then he certainly mm-hmm. has pro baseball he's, he's got a pro ball arm without question um and I also I'd imagine that he's pretty much guaranteed to go despite you know maybe maybe he's a guy that maybe with a consistent season could bounce you know could could raise his stock but hasn't hasn't been able to put that together so you might as well go when you've got the opportunity yeah and he's got a lot more leverage this year than he would next year as as a graduating senior with no more college eligibility and I think that's the thing that a lot of folks don't consider when they think oh Cam probably could have should have gone a little higher than he did he ended up going in the 10th round maybe he'll come back and try to improve that well you have another year like you did this year, you go in the 10th round. Now you're talking about a guy yeah. whose slot value was around 164,000. When you have leverage, you can get close to that number when you're negotiating yeah. with a team. But when you don't have leverage, uh, you know, a team's going to look at you and be like, Hey, here's, you know, $50,000, take it or leave it. Um, good luck somewhere else. Right. So uh, I think that that in and of itself is probably enough to send him off to, to go and try his luck in the Phillies um, organization. Um, and I think too, when you talk about Cam and Ryan, both, you know, their biggest issue was, you know, losing control of their, their pitches at, at sometimes command was a big challenge for them at times. And when you talk about kind of developmental ball, low a ball Mm -hmm. in, in the minor leagues, they don't really care about wins and losses. Yeah. They care about developing players. And so, you know, there's a situation in the future where, both of those guys could get into some of that low A ball and the, you know, their coaches say, don't care about anything else. You're locating all of your stuff in third today. Hmm. Every, every fastball you pitch is going to be inner third today. And that's the goal. Right. And then you start to build on that and say, okay, now we're going to start our slider on a guy's hip in the right hand batter's box so that it ends up 
inner third, right? Or we're going to give them the sweeping slider so that it looks like it's coming over the middle of the plate and it's going to dip off out to the, to the left-handed batter's box, right? So I think for guys like Ryan and Cam who have the stuff, developmental ball and low A ball is going to be the perfect spot for them to really grow into their raw talent uh, in, in a way that probably wasn't you know, they just couldn't do that in college because yeah. so much, I mean, college baseball is about wins and losses, right. Yeah. And, and developmental ball, it's, it's a little bit of a different feel because those coaches have a different goal in mind for the players that are on their team. So uh, yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if we see some really impressive jumps from Ryan and cam after a season or two in, in minor league baseball. Well, I, I mean, I think that's kind of like Brandon Williamson, right? It's very mm-hmm. similar to to Ryan Vanderhey in that, you know, he kind of came in with with big promise. And TCU fans would look back and say, like, he was he was good. Like he wasn't bad, but maybe not not what they expected. And now he's up, you know, pitching for the Reds, who are one of the the best teams uh in the National League. So yeah, I think I think some guys are gonna benefit from from being in those systems and being really able to fine-tune their craft. Other guys uh, benefit from getting to play every day with a little bit of pressure on. So uh, there's still quite a few TCU, current TCU players on the board, um, guys that weren't necessarily expected to be top 300 picks, so it's not surprising. Um, but I think with the the two big names that we're all watching are Elijah Nunez um, and Trey Richardson, both guys who have eligibility left should they elect to use it, but could hear their names called early on day three. And then, of course, Austin Davis, a grad transfer from West Virginia, um, who is out of eligibility, um, I believe, but uh, could potentially uh, hear his name called before the end of this as well. Um, any Anything that, that we could expect any of those guys to turn down an offer or you think they're if they hit their name called, they're gone? Yeah, I think I think I mean so beyond those guys too. You're talking about Garrett Wright, Luke Savage, mm. Sam Stoutenborough, who's yeah, out of eligibility, lot. Curtis Byrne, uh, who participated in Senior Day, even though he's got another year of eligibility left. I don't, I don't see personally many, if any, of those guys coming back. And for similar reasons to why Cam Brown's probably gone at this point too, is you lose so much leverage when you're out mm. of college eligibility, especially for those guys in rounds 11 through 20, who there is no slot value for, you're going to get a lot closer to $150,000 as an outgoing junior versus when you have finished your college eligibility. So uh, I fully expect Elijah and Trey, just to name the two that you talked about off the top to both hear their names called on Tuesday and for them to both take that deal and, and go pro. Um, as much as I would love to see both those guys in purple and white again next year, because yeah. they're so much fun to watch. They're both incredible people. Uh, you know, you, you know that if they have the opportunity and if the price is right, they're, they're both going to take it and go and that's the right decision. So. Yeah, just it's I mean, it's the MLB draft is is among the, the craziest things in, mm-hmm. in sports, because you think about that, like, especially with NIL too. you know, a guy like, you know, the, both of those guys. And, and you know, there are, there are so many, like you mentioned, guys that are, are going to get their hear their name called as well that may or may not have eligibility. But when you think about personalities on that TCU baseball team. Um, getting a hundred grand in endorsements is not out of the realm of possibility for Elijah or Trey Richardson by any mm-hmm. stretch of the imagination. <clears throat> um, but it's, it's kind of the, I think that like, believe me, I would love to make $150,000, uh, but one lump sum payment of 150 grand probably isn't setting you up for life. Um, but it's the opportunity to chase your dream and you're only going to get so many of those opportunities and anything can happen with injuries and different things. So yeah, that it's, it's hard that- to. Yeah. I mean that, and you know, a lot of these teams, uh, it, it, I don't know if it's still standard, but it used to be standard that 
not only would you get that bonus, but if you're leaving college early, that team's going to pay for you to finish school yeah. at some point. So, uh, you know, as far from a, from an academic standpoint, they're not losing out on any dollars. Um, they have an opportunity now to go pro, which is something that they've dreamed of since being little kids. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like you said, uh, you know, it, it's not life-changing money, but it is life-changing money, at least in the here and now in some ways. And so, you know, it sets them up in a little bit of a different way than maybe they would have been set up otherwise, which is not something that maybe has exactly a dollar value as much yeah. as a, a comfort and a um, ease of mind, peace of mind value as as well. So uh, again, wouldn't bl- won't blame either of them when they when they take the money and, and go pro after this year after after all they've done for TCU Eli and yeah. his three years and Trey and his one. So yeah, it'll be good. Absolutely. It'll be good to see those guys. You know, I, I think the most fun that I have with it too is. You know, I pay, I think, probably more attention to minor league baseball than the average human being. And it's always fun just to, like, go check in on guys and see, yeah. you know, TCU in that banner on MILB.com and it just, you know, kind of keep track of them all. And they're all going to have that. And it's just fun to have more pro frogs to yeah. follow and, and keep track of and hopefully see succeed. Now you talk about guys that have given a lot to TCU. There's at least one guy that's probably not going to make it to campus um, that would have been a, a star at the next level for, for the Horn Frogs. Um, what are you hearing or, or where did, can you tell us a little bit about Kyle Carr and his uh, MLB journey? Yeah. So he, I mean, he got drafted in the third round today, he, 97th overall by the Yankees. He's going to go. I mean, I don't have the slot value dollar amount off the top of my head, but this is a kid who has already recovered from Tommy John has already had shoulder surgery on his non-throwing arm. Um, And so, you know, when you have that on your docket already and you get drafted top 100, go. Like there's no, there's zero, zero percent chance he's coming to Fort Worth. Um, And he shouldn't come to Fort Worth. He should absolutely take that payday. He's a left-handed pitcher who throws 97 from the left. I mean, not 97 mile an hour lefty is not something that comes very often. Um, And as much fun as it would have been to have him in the weekend rotation for TCU. He, I mean, he's going to Yankees and you can't blame a kid for that. Yeah. Can't blame that kid for that whatsoever. Um, speaking of guys chasing their pro dreams, there's a couple guys that we've talked about a little bit on the pod uh, doing that right now in the NBA summer league. And I just watched uh, Mike miles. This time it was actually Mike miles with another strong finish at the cup. Um, looks like he might've, ran himself out of his shoe a bit, but uh, Damian Baugh, Mike Miles, both been participating in summer league. Damian Baugh has been with the Lakers. He got a couple game head start participating in the California classic up in Sacramento. Mike is playing his second game as we record this for the Dallas Mavericks. Um, a little bit different results, but looks like uh looks like Damian Baugh has, has done some things really well. Uh, and Mike, it seems like it's starting to kind of get up to speed with, with what professional basketball looks like. What have been your thoughts on, on kind of watching Damian Mike play a little bit this summer? I've really liked the defense that Damian has played. Uh, I think he's done, he's done really well, especially on the perimeter defensively. He's averaging about a steal and a half per game, which is nice through four games for the Lakers. He's averaging 19 minutes off the bench too, which is not bad, especially when you consider the fact that all three of their two-way players are playing, several draft picks for the Lakers are playing, and he's an Exhibit 10 guy. Um, yeah. So for him to be garnering that much playing time in a league that is designed for people to see kind of the talent that they just drafted play uh, is a good sign for, for 
Damien that if it doesn't work out in, in LA, he's probably going to have an opportunity or two elsewhere to, to latch on to a team. He's definitely probably going to hang around in the G league. Uh, he's been rebounding incredibly well, averaging close to four rebounds a game over that four game stretch as well. Um, passing the ball really well, averaging close to three assists per game, not turning the ball over a ton, which is something that he needed to work on uh, this season. And he did, he did well at TCU, not to, not to turn the ball over as much as yeah. he did in his, in year one. So He's got a little bit over a, uh, like a two to one, roughly, uh, assist to turnover ratio through four games. The one, the one knock so far has been his shooting. He's only shooting at about a twenty four percent clip, uh, so that's got to get up a little bit. He's only one of nine from three, um, but I think that'll come. I think the the shot in in this is maybe the last thing to come for a guy who's so good at everything else. Yeah. Uh, when you're playing at this level now. Um, if that starts to fall a little bit for him in this last couple summer league games, uh, I think, I think we're going to see Damian ball catching on for sure. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that what he's done, especially rebounding the basketball and just the the effort that he's shown on defense, um, you know, have, have been really positives mm. for him and, uh, absolutely think that he will, he will have a G league opportunity at the very least, um, this fall for sure. Um, you know, Mike got off to a little bit of a difficult start in his first game with the Mavericks, mm-hmm. not unusual, um, you know, for, for there to be a little bit of a slow start there. It looks like he's playing with a little bit more confidence, um, tonight from what I've kind of seen as I've scanned over there a couple of times. Uh, don't you dare start barking Bauer. Don't you dare do it, buddy. <laughs> it is, it, that is a leaf. You are barking at a leaf on the screen, this dog. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think that we kind of expected that he would be able to score regardless. But like you said, that at oftentimes is the last thing to come for guys. And and he has not had, um, you know, the big outburst, but you know, his, his, his journey is really just begin, beginning, uh, you know, Dame got a couple of head starts. Mike is really just kind of getting started with his summer league. Um, he's got 10 points tonight so far. They're, they're into the the fourth quarter, last couple minutes of the game, um, three rebounds, three assists. Uh, just one turnover and he's got a positive uh, plus minus plus nine right now. So I, yeah. I think he started to kind of put it together. It looks like he might be getting up to speed um, and he's a guy who's on a two-way contract. So he's going to have an opportunity um, for sure. I think with the Mavericks, I don't, I don't think he's played himself out of that by any stretch of the imagination. Mm. So he's got time to develop and a little bit less pressure on him as well. He looks more comfortable tonight than he yeah. did in game one. And it's not even remotely close. Um He's still not getting any calls at the rim when he's getting yeah. contact so, and he's going down and still making that. baskets. But yeah. I think what he's doing right now is displaying that, hey, I'm not phased by the size at this level. I'm not phased yep. by the physicality at this level. Uh, and I can still score at the rim at this level, which is really yep. something that was a big question mark. And, and one of the main reasons he didn't get drafted this year was his combination of size and arm length. And people kind of asking those questions, will he still be as effective around the rim as he was in college? So game one, didn't see a ton of that. Saw him try to be more of a distributor, try to play more of a team game. Game two, though, like you said, he's already up double digit points, attacking the basket like we know Mike can do, being more assertive with the ball in his hands um, and looking a lot more like his old self, which is, is really nice. Mike, buddy, summer league is not the time to play a team game. No, it's not. It's really not. He's, He's not going to make a team because he's a great distributor. He's going to make a team because he can give you 18 points off the bench in 15 minutes occasionally. Like that's, Mm -hmm. that's what his game I think needs to be at the next level. Um, He's not, 
he's not going to be a pass pass first point guard. He can be a playmaker. We've seen him do that. I think he got a little bit undersold on that in the draft process, but uh, no, he needs to be an offense guy. He needs to go out and look for his. And it does. I totally agree. And what I've been watching tonight kind of out of one eye, it, it seems like he's been much more aggressive. Yeah, he has been. And that's good to see. Um, especially when you think about the Mavs and they've got a couple couple of spots open on that that main yeah. roster so yeah. uh, they're not done making moves yet either you know you think about um JaVale McGee probably not going to end up on this final roster uh Tim Hardaway Jr. is probably not going to end up on this final roster uh there's there's going to be some opportunity there for him to maybe not right out of the gate but you know at some point in the season for we sure. might see him in a Mavericks uniform could happen uh guys we might see in a TCU uniform JB, uh, mm-hmm. they're they're at a, a pretty big time official visit from one of the highly rated players in the class of 2024. Yes. Uh, tell us about tell us about uh, Jeremiah Johnson. Jeremiah Johnson, four star point guard out of Norman, Oklahoma, played his first two years of high school ball in Oklahoma City. Um, last year, played at a Washa Washa Academy in utah in a town about an hour and a half south of salt lake city which is a really well-known academy for developing basketball players oddly enough um so he played there played really well shot the three really well uh and it's kind of a rising star in the 2024 class he's currently rated on 24 7 as the number 11 overall point guard um for the class of 2024 and he made his way to tcu for an official visit last week uh had a really good couple of days on campus i had a chance to catch up with him over the weekend once his visit was over um so the tcu was definitely in his top three right now uh you know loved 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 gary christopher tcu strength and conditioning Mm -hmm. coach said that uh the strength and conditioning program the recovery program how seriously tcu takes that is second to none based on the other programs that he's been talking to and taking visits to. So uh, I think that puts TCU in a pretty good uh, position. Said he loves Jamie Dixon, loves, you know, the track record of developing players. They said, he said they watched a lot of film on Mike Miles and Damian Ball. Mm. So they, they envision a lot of that uh, if he was to end up at TCU using him in similar ways to those two guys. So there's not, not bad examples. They just yeah. so happened, you know, to be yeah. at dinner on Wednesday night where you could, where they could watch Damien in the oh, way. So no way. You know, pretty nice, pretty nice little recruiting tactic there when you've got guys in the league that are playing uh, when guys are visiting to go watch them. It's not the first time the TCU coaches have employed that, um, that tactic. And, and it seems to work pretty well. I will say learned, learned earlier, on Monday that uh, there was some potential for, for him to maybe reclassify as 2023 and join the frogs this fall. I don't believe that's going to happen. Johnson told me that he's going to um, the overtime elite high school program out in Phoenix, Uh, Phoenix prep, I believe is what it's called. So he's going to be spending a season out there in overtime elite, which is uh, kind of a new developmental basketball league there's for 16 to 20 year olds there's a lot that goes into it that i'm not going to kind of get into right now but there's a track where you can get paid there's a track where you can maintain your college eligibility johnson is doing the latter um but he does expect to have a top three by the end of june july early august and then he's he's planning on committing sometime in september so um a lot of i've been getting a lot of questions uh, about what CCU going to do with this final scholarship. Jeremiah Johnson was a possibility mm. for that final scholarship for this year. It doesn't look like that's going to be the case. So I think TCU is going to turn their attention to another point guard, another shooter now. Um, 
in the transfer portal to see who they can maybe bring in to fill that 13th scholarship. Uh, you know, I think just once again, the you cannot put enough value on what it means for TCU to have Mike Miles and Damian Baugh and the NBA Summer League, to have Desmond Bain becoming the first $200 million player for the Grizzlies, to have Kenrich Williams really carving out a role for himself with Oklahoma City and have RJ Nemhard, you know, spend time up with the Cavs organization. Um, being able to have five guys at one time in some level of professional basketball in the United States Um that's the type of recruiting pitch that TCU's really been lacking. And I think mm-hmm. they've gotten obviously great players, but this takes you to the next level where you can get a Jeremiah Johnson caliber player on campus for an official visit. Um, and you can start to close some of those elite prospects. Uh, what they've done in the transfer portal is outstanding. Um, and I think that that is what you have to do with the new way of college basketball, but you still have to be bringing in top tier talent and mm-hmm. developing them. Um, and I also think that like, you know, I don't, I don't know enough about this kid to know, but you need to occasionally get one or two of those guys who could be a one and done or a, a two and done type player and be a top 15 draft pick early on in their college career uh, to start showing guys, hey, like you can be an elite talent, come to TCU and raise your profile, raise your stock. And now that they have a national spotlight in a way that they never have previously, that's certainly a possibility. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. And, and beyond Johnson, you know, the guys that they've been most connected with are also kind of these premier talents. Styles Phipps is another point guard out there that's a four-star kid, number 15 at his position. He's from Phoenix, Arizona originally. You've got Jared Harris, who's a shooting guard, four-star kid from Silsby, Texas. You've got uh, a couple power forwards as well. And Nick Cody, who by the end of this thing, Nick Cody might be like a top 30, top 40 player in the 2024 class. He's 57 right now, four-star kid out of Carrollton. So that's a local kid, DFW kid yeah. that they're trying to keep at home as he blows up on the summer circuit. Micah Robinson's another one. He's originally from uh, Frisco, but he's playing his high school ball up at Oak Hill Academy in, in Virginia right another now. Powerhouse. F- yeah, four-star kid, top 120 in the country. So, you know, this is the reality of TCU basketball recruiting these days is that they are going to start attracting some higher level talent out of high school. And it seems like their plan is two or three really good talents out of high school and then supplement with the transfer portal. We'll yeah. see if that, that that's been the case the last couple of years. We'll see if that holds true this year specifically, because they've got a lot of these transfers that are one year of eligibility guys, Jameer Ellison Jr., yeah. Trey Tennyson. Um, I believe Avery Anderson, the third as well, are all just one year guys. Um, <clears throat> so we'll see if that continues where they're hitting the portal pretty hard for veteran leadership. But one thing that Jamie Dixon always comments on without fail, both before and during and after the season is how old other teams in the big 12 are. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I mean, every time you ask him about Kansas, oh, they're really old. They got a lot of veteran leaders. Uh, Every time you ask him about Baylor, they're really old. They got a lot of veteran leaders, right? There is a clear precedent in Jamie Dixon's mind for how you construct a team that can compete for championships And that is veteran leadership, guys with experience, guys who have done it before. And he's going to continue, I think, to hammer that home on the recruiting trail every time he has an opportunity to talk to a guy in the portal versus getting a guy in high school. Um, I think he's going to balance it, but I think he's probably always going to lean portal first. Yeah. And and I think, you know, again, because of the conference that TCU plays in, because of what you're seeing across college basketball, I mean, the one thing we've always known to be true 
when you look at the Cinderella's and March Madness and TCU is not going to be a Cinderella anymore anytime soon, but it's always because they are four of their five starters have are seniors and they've been playing together for four years um, or their guys. Now you see these guys that transfer from, I mean, we saw it with LSU baseball, right? Go mm-hmm. find a bunch of veteran guys that have been successful other places and throw them all together and hope you have the chemistry of the coaching staff to make it work. And so, yeah, I think, I think that's, it's, it, you know, I think for, for those of us that love college basketball, there's a, it's a little bit of a bummer in this era to see kind of this college free agency because you don't get to kind of watch a team, you know, grow together. But it's also pretty cool when you can go out and have a team that's maybe really close, add a piece to them and, and bring them over the top. And TCU is not, you know, many seasons away from that being a, a potential strategy to raise them into the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight or, or potentially beyond. Um, and for a program that's never seen that deep a run in the tournament, I think Jamie Dixon's right to do whatever he can to try to get them there. Totally agree. Totally agree. Do what you can to get them there. Do what you can in a conference that's getting stronger. Yeah. Even yeah. with the exit of Oklahoma and Texas, uh, not from be a basketball worse. perspective, right? Yeah. I mean, you're adding Houston, number one overall seed going into the tournament last year. No big deal. Um, they're not slowing down anytime soon with Kelvin Sampson nope. at the head at the helm. Cincinnati traditionally very strong basketball power. Um, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see where the frogs stack up moving forward uh, from a conference perspective, but it's going to, it's going to continue to be the best basketball conference going bar none in the country. Um, Speaking of best conferences in the country, Melissa, the big 12 preseason poll came out uh, about a day after our last episode, where we talked about first team big 12 players. And we talked about who we voted for the, the, the poll came out the next day. And breaking news, I don't know if you noticed who was number one, uh, but the University of Texas. Couldn't possibly, Texas could not possibly be back, could they? Big 12 poll with Texas at the top. It's like an annual postseason tradition for the Longhorns to, uh, I'm trying to vamp as I pull up the right freaking email. I've gotten so many emails from Johnny. The, the, the Big Twelve week. Is, is on it, man. They're doing so many things. The the, the Big Twelve homecoming that got announced today this morning. I thought that was a really cool thing. There's just so many. Mm-hmm. The Big Twelve is constantly on its grind. It is all right. So I found it. Uh, Texas number one in the conference, 41 first place votes. Kansas State second with fourteen first place votes. Oklahoma at third with four votes for first place. Texas Tech fourth. Maybe a surprise, the Red Raiders as high as they were in the poll um, with four first-place votes. TCU with three first-place votes. One of those was not me. Yeah, Um, me either, despite what Parker was trying to do. Right. Baylor at six, Oklahoma State at seven, with someone voting Oklahoma State first. Oh, I know who that is. Who? It's our friend Ari Temkin. Ari Temkin, shout Ari, out. Ari, right. I, I asked on Twitter and he, he to his credit, claimed it. And I was like, you're insane, but I respect the fact you're willing to claim it. Look, sometimes letting go of the past is hard. Love you, Ari. Yeah. Love you, Ari. Disagree with that vote. Uh, UCF at eight, Kansas at nine, Iowa State 10, BYU 11, Houston 12, Cincinnati 13, West Virginia dead last. Neil Brown's hot seat grows a little hotter. Um, but Melissa, how does that stack up? with first of all what's your reaction to that poll and then how does that stack up with your vote specifically so i was pretty similar um there wasn't anything on that poll that i thought was egregious um even the texas tech while i i think it's a little bit 
I mean, it's prisoner of the moment, but I think everybody's very excited about Joey McGuire. I think everybody is excited about what Texas Tech has done in recruiting. Um, you know, they, they made a great hire offensive coordinator and Zach Kitley. They're going to score a ton of points um, and it's going to feel like old school Big 12. So I understand the preseason bump. There's always one team that people get really, really excited about in the preseason that either is going to overachieve or underachieve. And the problem, I mean, you say Neil Brown's seat gets hotter, but the problem is, is he can only overachieve from where he's slated, right? He sure. can only achieve or overachieve. For Joey McGuire, this puts a lot of pressure on him and Lubbock and a lot of pressure on Texas Tech um, to be picked that high when you haven't, I mean, I'm trying to think of the last time that, that Texas Tech was picked to finish in the top four of the Big 12 Conference, especially when it's now a 14-team conference. Um, it, it seems like like quite a bit. That being said, I ranked them fifth. So it's not so like, yeah. yeah. So, so I, I think, and, and I think it's accurate to have high expectations for them, but the, the proof is going to be in the pudding. Um, I also succumb to look, I'm going to put it this way. Texas has the highest ceiling and probably the highest floor, mm-hmm. right? Like now they are Texas and it is Steve Sarkeesian. So anything could happen, but anything but them winning the big 12 this year would be an absolute utter disaster. So maybe I picked them to do so, so I could watch the whole thing burn. I mean, sure. Why not? Right. I, they they have not won the big 12 since 2009. Six programs have won the big 12 since they last won it, uh, which is a, just from a completely objective standpoint, a massive failure on the part of Texas yeah. Longhorns football, right? Like absolutely. you should, you have the biggest budget in college athletics, you have access to every single thing you need. You have access to every single recruit and coach and booster that you need to be successful on the field. And they have simply not done it. It is yeah. a failure on the part of Texas that they have not won the conference in 14 years. And and they should, they, when in a, a league that, where there's a lot of turnover, there's a lot of upheaval, there's a lot of teams lost a lot of good players they have the easiest path to winning it this year. Will they? Mm -hmm. Who knows? But they have the easiest path. I understand why they're number one. I voted them number one. Um, Kansas State, to me, seems the least likely to screw it up. Um, They lost a generational talent in in Deuce Vaughn, but they bring back a really good quarterback. Um, You know, they have some – they don't have a ton at receiver, but they've got some offensive skill players. They've got a great offensive line and they have a defense that's going to hold the line. Right. So mm-hmm. I, I think that them not them making a return trip to Arlington is, is certainly out of the, not out of the question. And, and I think would be reasonable at Kansas state, Texas big 12 championship game would not surprise me. Um, I did put my Homer glasses on a little bit and rank TCU third. I don't know if I believe that, but um, when I looked at, at who, who would I rank above them? It wasn't like any one team was, I'm not a Dylan Gabriel believer whatsoever. I know he was hurt a lot of last year, but there's just so many things he does technically that I don't know are fixable. Um, And they lost quite a bit uh, at wide receiver of that team. I think their defense will be a lot better and their offensive line should be fine. Um, But I I didn't, I just, I couldn't argue Oklahoma over TCU based on what I know today. Um, And then Texas Tech, Baylor, UCF, Kansas, Oklahoma State, BYU, Houston, Iowa State, West Virginia. I have Cincinnati last. Sorry, Bearcats. I have Cincinnati last as well. Uh, we our ones and twos are the same. I had Texas, Kansas State one and two. Don't need to rehash that. I had Texas. I had Oklahoma three. Okay. And, and then, yeah, that's, that's and a TCU up. and TCU four. Yeah, uh, the up. reason that I put Oklahoma over TCU three and four is returning production. Uh, you know, Oklahoma doesn't have the same number of losses on the offensive yeah. line. They don't have the same losses at the skill positions. Uh, I think 
I agree with you. I think Brent Venables year two will take a huge step forward defensively. Um, and, and so that is the reason why OU is three and TCU is four in my poll. I, yeah. I don't see a ton of difference, frankly, between those two teams going into 2023. I would not shock me one way or the other if either team won that game up in Norman. Um, but again, I just, uh, I put OU back, uh, uh, back at three because of the returning production, yada, yada, yeah, yada. Fair. I'm going to get, I'm going to get someone that says, oh, but Kansas state lost a lot and you put them at number two. Yeah. Because Chris Kleiman is a wizard and I don't understand how he does it. And mm-hmm. also, you know, they're going to have the best trenches in the conference outside of yep. Texas. It's just a, a given at this point. Yep, I also had right. tech. I also had tech at five, uh, Baylor at six. Central Florida at seven, Kansas eight, Oklahoma State nine, BYU ten, Houston, Iowa State, West Virginia, and Cincinnati wow. rounding things out. So Iowa we were State the same except for <clears throat> except for TCU and Oklahoma, and I just need to have a better horn frog than you. So that's yeah, like that's, our polls exactly the same. I'm a better. I'm a. I wear and I'm not like I'm normally. I feel like I'm not much of a homer, but you're older than me. You're you're getting really close to your homer years, aka your golden years. So. Okay. We're going to go with that. You had to throw the age out there. Anytime okay. I can, any chance I get. Um, I don't understand Iowa State finishing even at 10 Yeah. in this poll. I don't understand how they finished ahead of BYU and Houston. He, people still believe in Matt Campbell. <clears throat> Never had a 10-win season, beat Iowa for the first time last year. I don't see it personally. I don't see it. I, I, I love and respect a lot of Iowa State people. What What they see, I don't. I don't get it. Yeah. I don't get it. Yeah. No, I, I think, yeah, I think that was a, a very interesting, uh, but you know, but there's, but it's the same thing. Like, and I, we saw this with, with TCU and, and Sunny Dykes, like when you have a coach, would you have a program that people like telling stories about? And when you allow them to tell those stories, you're going to get a bump in the media. You know, we're all susceptible to that. And, and I think that's why Texas Tech is getting that bump this year. I think that's why Iowa State has had so many believers for so long is people love Matt Campbell and they love that he stayed and they love that he's invested. But yeah, the proof is certainly, you know, has not kind of borne out what people think of him. Um, and mm-hmm. this, I don't know that his seat's ever going to get hot, but I think that people will start asking questions if Iowa State doesn't over deliver a little bit this year. I agree. I agree. But I I mean, I took the under on them went over, yeah. and it I, was yeah. five and a half. So, wow. Wow. Okay. You know, I, I just, I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing it myself. Melissa, big 12 media days start on Wednesday. We've got the whole crew coming. Yeah. 14 teams are going to be, this is going to be the biggest big 12 media days in the last several years since TCU joined the conference, yeah. 14 teams will be there. TCU, Houston, Kansas State, or sorry, TCU, Houston, Kansas, Baylor, Oklahoma State, Texas, and BYU will all be there on Wednesday. Very excited that they put TCU and BYU on the mm-hmm. same day. Um, but what are you looking forward to? Oh, sorry, Kansas State, UCF, Texas, Texas, Cincinnati, West Virginia, Iowa State, and Oklahoma go on Thursday. What are you looking forward to about Big 12 Media Days? I just think it's going to be really fun to just have the the expanse of of teams to have Dana Holgerson back. Like I'm, I missed watching Dana Holgerson walk around media days with a Red Bull in his hand. You know, I think that 
that the excitement and the enthusiasm, there's going to be so much positivity at AT&T Stadium Wednesday and Thursday because they're so, like, nobody's lost the game. Nobody's won a game, but nobody's lost the game. So these four new programs that are coming in, they just got infused with a ton of cash, with a ton of opportunity. You look at all of the things that uh, Brett Yormark and the Big 12 are doing and all the forward thinking that they have. It feels like this conference is on the cusp of doing something really, really great. And before games have been played, this is the best time of year for football fans because you have, even if you're Cincinnati and most people think you're going to be hot garbage, like maybe not if you're West Virginia, but everybody else has so much hope right now. Um, And so I think just getting to talk to the new coaches, getting to see Hogo around, um, you know, talking to the players. I'll tell you the thing I'm most looking forward to is talking to Bud Clark because nobody Mm -hmm. lights up a room like Bud Clark does Um, getting to see him get to see some of these other elite players, um, you know, wandering around the facility, the, the way that they do media days is so awesome because it's just so accessible. There's so many, you can talk to anybody anywhere, but your mark is super accessible. You know, I remember Joey McGuire took five, 10 minutes just to chat me up last year. And, you know, just the, the, most of these coaches are really great really down to earth, really enjoyable to talk to. Um, and I think the vibes there are a lot of fun. Um, so we're not going to learn anything. There's not going to be any earth shattering mm-hmm. news. Maybe if we're lucky, we get Brett Venables, you know, level of a drink it out of the fire hose comment that he made last year. That was so weirdly awkward and delightful. Um, but at the end of the day, like it's just a really good time just to get excited to get football season closer. And my favorite part is I'm going to be there. So I get to go down to Texas. I get to deal with the oppressive heat, but I get to see you. I get to see the DCTF crew. I get to see all of, all of my media friends that I haven't seen since the Fiesta Bowl um, and the national championship game. Like I'm super fired up to get to reconnect with folks and and give everybody lots of hugs and high fives and just kind of hang around with the group of people that are a lot of fun to be around. Yeah. It's, it's always a good time at big 12 media days, seeing everybody, seeing all these familiar faces. I think, uh, so first of all, Brent Venables answered. So each coach gets 20 minutes, right. To answer questions at, at the main podium or whatever. Brent Venables answered four yeah. last year. He managed to get through Man 20 minutes, just answering four questions. Yep. He made a lot of weird comments, a lot of strange analogies. Mm-hmm. I'm setting the over under at four and a half questions answered for Brent Venables this year. Okay. Do you, are you taking the over or the under? I'm going to say he's gotten a little media training. I'm going to take the over, but only because it's four and a half. And if it were five, I'd be taking the under, you know, like I, I think, mm-hmm. I think five questions is kind of what I'm, what I'm thinking. See, I think he goes the other direction. I think he only answers Ooh. three. I, I, I think, worse? I think he, I think his media training is sending him in the other direction because the defense was so bad last year, because there are so many questions around his program, blah, blah, blah. Can he do what Lincoln Riley and Bob Stoops have been doing at Oklahoma for 20 years, blah, blah, blah. I think he's going to try and vamp even more. He's going to swing hard into the curve. He's going to, he's going to try and say as little as possible with as many words as possible. I like it. I think, I think that's a good one. Um, I'm excited too, to hear Brett Yormark give an update on expansion. It's been the primary topic outside of media rights since he started this job one year ago and he locked down media rights pretty quickly. He got that done in his first four months as commissioner. Um, Shout out to the PAC 12. Um, So I'm excited to see what, if anything, he says about expansion, it'll probably be generic expansion talk. Um, but you know it's probably going to be the first question that he gets asked when it's opened up for questions. So also, I'll be, I'll be interested to see. Knowing him would not shock me if they had a big bomb to drop on Wednesday or Thursday. It would not shock yeah. me whatsoever. 
Maybe. I mean, it's interesting that he is two media mentioned Yukon and Gonzaga by name. Um, that's not something that commissioners normally do yeah. when they're having these kinds of conversations. Now in those moments, he was specifically asked about those schools, but even in that case, uh, even in those cases, normally commissioners and presidents of universities and stuff kind of just pivot immediately to yeah. a generic, generic speak around this, this subject. And he at times has proven that he is not going to do that. So nope. will he do that in the largest media gathering he will be in all year? Who knows? We'll see. Who knows? So we'll find that, out. We will find out. Um, I think that'll do it. Yeah. For this episode, we'll have a lot more to talk about on on Wednesday uh, after mm-hmm. we hear TCU talk. We hear from Sonny Dykes for the first. I mean, I guess we heard him from spring ball, but you know, the questions will be asked of Can you do it again? Were you a one hit wonder? That's going to be really interesting to see. Um, we'll we'll get to see you know if uh, Sark is is feeling the pressure of you know trying to win the conference in Texas's last year, and we'll see if anybody cares that Texas and Oklahoma are leaving, or if everybody's this is kind of a celebratory, the king is dead, long live the king kind of situation. All I know is neither of them need to be in the Big Twelve championship in December. Would be ideal if the Big Twelve refs really cared. I would love mm-hmm. for there to be conspiracy theories that they were kept out because they're leaving and i would be okay with that if it were true look you Brett, you if you're listening it. yeah also let's not forget tcu fans that they switched tcu's home game against boise state to a road game against boise state when we yep. told the mountain west that they were that that tcu was leaving right so yep. it's not like there's not precedent for shenanigans These things happen shenanigans happen anywho this has been the frogs insider podcast i am jamie plunkett she is melissa trebwasser Very thankful for all of you for listening. Make sure that you have liked and subscribed and left a review wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to us on the Republic of Football Network feed. Listen to us on the Frogs Insider exclusive feed. Um, And thank you, thank you, thank you for your continued support of the show. Shout out to Home Field Apparel as well. Go buy clothes. Buy clothes. If you got past the first three minutes of the podcast and are still listening to this, you're a real one. That's all I'm going to say about that. You get a reward. You get a reward. I don't know what it is yet. Jamie will eat a Home Field shirt. Nope. (laughs) Not going to be that. Anyways, this is it. Goodbye. Until next time, later this week, go Frogs. Go Frogs.